0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, so this has been a heck of a year. This, this, the, Lauren Hanson uh, recommended this class. So this is, we'll give all the credit to Lauren if there's any credit to be, to be due. Um, but I want to talk, I want to start out first and talk about some of, the, uh, some of the things that people have experienced during this year. And if this is true of you, if, if this describes you in this year, every single one of the characteristics, raise your hand, give me a spirit finger. Um, so first, lots of sadness. If you've experienced sadness this year in any kind of form, raise your hand. Okay, yeah. uh, fatigue. You just find yourself tired. You just find yourself kind of worn out. I'm experiencing that right now myself. Um, irritability. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely true. Um, uh, a longing for heaven or for the second coming of Christ. I've heard people say, oh, come Lord Jesus. I'm just ready for Christ to come in more this year than any, any other year of, of my 41. Um, life in a fog. Kind of feel like at times you're just kind of like in a fog, like everything's in a haze. Um, and then uh, finally, a distorted sense of time. Where things, things like, uh, you're like, goodness gracious, that was only six months ago, but that that seems like two years ago. I was thinking the last Sunday school class I taught, I think it was late February, seems like 18 months to two years ago. In reality, I think it was it was 10 months ago. Uh, I, I talked to a friend and he said, It's interesting, people either, uh, Colin Hansen and I were having Barbecue Friday, and he said, uh, You know, didn't we just have Christmas? Because he's, you know, for some people it's like this has gone on forever. But for some people it's been like that kind of trauma where it's like everything, he, they've like shut out everything to where like Christmas seems like it was just like snap of a finger ago. So anyhow, these these factors: this sense of sadness, fatigue, irritability, life in a fog, a distorted sense of time. Uh, these things are all these are all things that you would tell a person to expect. You'd tell them are normal if they had just had a significant loss. If they had just had a, a you know a sudden death. You would say, "Hey, look, be prepared. Um, you're gonna you're gonna feel a lot of sorrow. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be." just kind of abnormally fatigued, you know, just kind of in this malaise. You're going to find yourself a little more irritable than normal. Um, You know, your thinking is not going to be as crisp. Your brain is just not going to be as crisp as it normally is. I don't know about you guys. I'm having so much trouble remembering names. Some of it, I think, has to do with masks. But I just, I mean, I look out on Sunday morning and I'm like, I know that person. I can like tell you everything about them. I just cannot remember their name life in a fog, you tell a person to, yeah, I mean, time is, time, time and grief is, you know, it's just very, very distorted. Uh, for a lot of people, the year after somebody dies, it either feels like a blank or it feels like 10 years. And so anyhow, so this, these characteristics of grief um, that, you know, we've said that people normally experience after a sudden loss, or any loss really, everyone is experiencing this year. So that tells us that a good way to think of and try to interpret 2020 and in all of its misery, all of its difficulty, all of its you know confusion is to understand it through the lens of grief. And so that's really what we're going to talk about. Um, you know, I'll say uh, it's about 18 months after uh, Cameron died, uh, I had a friend whose daughter had gone to college. And so we're having this conversation and he's like, oh, we're just, we're grieving her going to college and, oh, you know, she's, she's left and we're just grieving that. And he used the word grief like six or seven times in the conversation. I was so close to just stopping him in the conversation and be like, listen here, you blankety blank. Like that's a term for people like me, like quit telling me about, your child going to college, and how you're grieving that. Like, give me a freaking break. Your kid's gonna come home for Thanksgiving, you know? Like this, you, you don't know what grief is. And then uh, it was like, you know, three years later, I'm sitting there with Mary Matthews on, you know, on her bed, putting her down, you know, reading her stories, and we were talking about, um, talking about, you know, something she had done when she was, she was probably four at this time. But I pulled up a video of her when she was like two. And, oh, so cute. It was so cute. <laughs> she had like the Shirley Temple curls and she was singing a song and she was pronouncing everything wrong. And what happens? Waterworks. Tears start coming down my eyes. Because I'm seeing. you know, i got my two-year-old and now I've got this four-year-old and like she's becoming capable and... She's not. She's not. It's dependent upon me, and and I'm starting to cry as I'm watching the video, right? And so then I'm starting to see that grief has a much broader definition, a much broader con- concept than just after a death, um, because I am grieving that my little two-year-old, my cute little two-year-old, is now a four-year-old, is becoming more independent and moving towards being a big girl, and um, it's that feeling that people get when they send their child off to kindergarten. Uh, you know, There's always, I mean, most, uh, a lot of parents, particularly moms, they send their, their child off to kindergarten, you know, it's, it's, they cry. They cry you know, when they drive home, right? Raise your hand here if you, if you either felt sadness or you cried when you sent your children off to kindergarten for the first day, right? Totally, 100%. So, um, so with that being said, uh, there are, I kind of identified three components. Um, of grief, three components of grief, and 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 here's the thing: grief, um, grief flows out of the fall. Grief all emanates from Genesis chapter three. Um, grief is really just uh, the experience, the sense of sorrow and loss that we feel because the world is not the way that it's meant to be. Um, that, that is uh, you know, and so grief really captures it's such a broad category. It captures a whole number of descriptors, um, all of them emanating from the fall. And so in Genesis three, um, you know, after Adam and Eve uh, sin, uh, you can kind of see that there are three themes. One is separation. Uh, There are three themes. All of these can be inconsistent with grief. One is separation. What is separation that we see that occurs uh, as a product of the fall in Genesis chapter 3? What different elements of separation? How about relational separation? Where is there now new separation? Well, they hide from God. Hide from God, right. They were one with God. They had perfect communion with God. And now they're sinners. They're separated from God and under the under the wrath of God, so I mean they're, they they' gone from basically the communion of heaven to the separation of hell and so that you know that's that's really at the, at the core level the probably the biggest uh, f- biggest effect of the fall is separation because um, what makes Eden Eden is that there's harmony and oneness in all relationships uh, what makes the new heavens the new earth and New Jerusalem uh, so glorious so pleasurable so perfect is is the relation the the relationships what makes hell hell is eternal separation from god and so so separation and so let's think about this when we're talking about grief from a loss um you know what what really what people really lament and feel sorry over is the separation that you know they're they can no longer be with that person that person is gone you know, that person has died um, and so, so separation is one of the factors of grief. Second factor of grief is a sense of loss. So, with me talking, you know, lamenting over seeing, you know, a two-year-old now being a four-year-old, that season of life, you know, is lost. I think that's probably why I am savoring and clinging to my, to the caboose, the last child, and he's so cute. He's so cute. He's just like, you know, he's just like a little baby, and I, I'm like. You know, I could I could freeze him here because he's so sweet and he's so cute and he's so fun, but I, I there's a sense I know that like the baby phase is slipping away. I'm not sad that the diaper phase is over. ten, ten solid years of so no diapers, it's over. But um, but the baby phase is missing. So there's a sense of loss. You know, something I used to have, it is gone. Um. And then finally, a, a, a last factor. We said, you know, a sense of separation is a component of grief. A sense of loss uh, is present in, in grief. And then finally, a sense that things are just not the way they are meant to be. Um, and, and so I was going to say this for later, but why don't we just go ahead and kind of discuss this for a minute of where we see these, these factors in 2020. Where, first off, where is there, this is super obvious, but where, where is there a sense of separation, very intense separation present in 2020? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, grandparents can't see grandkids. People in nursing homes can't leave uh you can't you know you have months where you can't go to church you can't you know it's still very restricted very limited um there is just such intense isolation and alienation think about you know people i mean this is this is certainly true um certainly true in birmingham uh in you know april and may when you like literally almost by law, had to stay in your house all the time. Like you could not be in contact with people. Um, I have not seen, I have not seen, uh, you know, like my sister face to face. I don't think I've seen her one time. Uh, maybe one time in the last like 10 months. Um, so, so anyhow, there's this great sense of separation um, and isolation and loneliness that comes from that. Very, very, you know, very similar to grief. Um, where is there a sense of loss? This, and I think this is particularly true for parents and watching their kids. Where do we see a lot of loss? Um, I mean, both. Well, there are a number of levels of loss very intense loss and then more experiential loss. But where do we see that in 2020? Oh, well, there's a loss of livelihood for some of the people. Hmm. Good point. Loss of livelihood, yeah. Mm-hmm. seeing like our kids graduate or a, kid, a big moment that like that. Yeah. that. That's been hard, like when didn't get the kid confirmed, you didn't get to do sixth grade graduation, didn't get to do sixth grade play, mm-hmm. all that stuff was really tough. Yeah, watching it for people who are at these inflection points, whether it was like college seniors or uh, you know, uh, sixth graders or high school seniors, you know, graduation's canceled, senior trip's canceled. Uh, all that whole season, you know, kind of like, oh, I worked all these years to have this semester where I'm just going to do nothing and I'm going to enjoy myself. Loss there. But obviously on a much greater level, this, you know, loss of life, just so many people have died. And it's not just, um, it's, you know, I, raise, your, raise your hand if you know someone in your family or someone who you're, you know, you know, has died from COVID most people have some touch point to someone who who has died from covid and you know the thing too it's not just for you personally there's there's no way that you can kind of um, extricate yourself from just the collective loss of life you know i mean i uh i'm i really i really like statistics really like numbers um that's kind of part of how I make sense of the world and I'm a, kind of a, a psycho in the sense of like I'll check the cases every single day the, on the Bama tracker <laughs> just to see like how many new cases of COVID there are. Early in the pandemic, um, like in the morning and at night, I would check the the death tolls in Italy and in Spain, kind of seeing that as like the wave that's preceding the United States. And so, you know, that just catches up with you. <laughs> um, even though you don't know those people personally, but you see like all right, fifteen hundred people died in Italy today. Two thousand people died in Spain today, um, and you see that that is you know that there is an incredible sense of loss there. Um, and then finally, a, a sense that things are not the way they are meant to be. Uh, where have you seen images of that? I mean, where have you not seen images of that? How about these masks? These masks that we're all wearing, that we're all wearing. Um, these, these, the masks. I mean, come on, this is so weird, right? It's become normal for us, but like, you know, the people wearing masks around is not the way things are meant to be. Um, you know, I have a, a neighbor who works at UAB, and this sense of, you know, this very real sense of hospitals completely at max capacity and having to turn away people or having to make triage decisions. Sorry if I'm getting a little too intense here, Lauren, for little ears. <laughs> okay, good. Um, yeah, like not the way things are meant to be. Um, you know, people, so many people out of work and worried about their livelihood. Not the way things are meant to be. Um, not being able to touch each other. I mean, that is not the way things are meant to be. You know, like we are tactile beings. We are made for affection. It's not the way things are meant to be. Um, you know, this is, this is the, so first world. Um, but being at the, like the SEC championship game last night, and it's like, it was post apocalyptic. There was no one in the stadium. It was like, there would be a touchdown and then you could hear just like, (laughs) it was like a golf clap, you know, collectively speaking, you know, normally something that's kind of Going to sporting events, it's kind of a or concerts or things like that, or, or or musicals. They're glorious things, right? They're they're a little picture of heaven in the sense of you have everyone together and everyone's in this, you know, like inspired mood and excited. And that's a you know that's like a real nice little little sample appetizer of heaven. And like it is, it is not the way things are meant to be. That you're at something that big and that you know kind of like important in the culture and like some you know a touchdown is scored to like win the, the SEC championship and it's like <laughs> it's weird it's weird not the way things were meant to be it's like um, the on oh yeah yeah instead of like you know shaking hands or patting on the back or walking across and speaking yeah then passing the peace, not the way things are meant to be, so so anyhow, so we can see that these three these three components of grief um, are so intensely in play during this year uh separation, a sense of loss, and a sense that things are not the way that they're supposed to be and so, as a product of that, it makes sense that um, that people are are experiencing. So many of the um, the normal characteristics of people who have had a loss, who've experienced a death, who are in a season of grief, and so we're going to look at Psalm 137, uh, which really it's a it's a lament um, from the Psalms, and it's a it's a good um, it's a it's a really good Psalm for the season that we're in. So Psalm 137, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to kind of go verse by verse and talk about it. But to give you a little bit of context, uh, Psalm 137 is a a lament from the exile. Uh, Just a little Bible trivia refresher. Um, In the history of Israel, Old Testament, God's people, Israel, uh, one of the, the biggest and most central moments, probably the number two, maybe number three, it's one of the three most significant moments, is the Babylonian exile. Um, number one moment is the exodus when they come out of Egypt, number two is probably the delivery of the law and the covenants um, in in terms of the history of Israel, and number three is the exile. And so basically what happens is uh, Israel is warned by the prophets over and over again, you need to be faithful to the Lord, you need to trust the Lord, you do not need to uh, take matters into your own hands and trust yourself and trust your own plans because there was this threat there was this international threat of the babylonian empire Uh, they were super powerful and you know they had a penchant for coming to nations attacking them conquering them taking all their stuff and then taking their best and the brightest and shipping them out and so that that was kind of a a practice of what the babylonians were doing Um, they were either doing that or they were they were collecting vassal states so they were uh, collecting other nations, and they'd, they'd say, hey, guys, the, the silver or the lead. <laughs> basically, as, the, as the, the, the Colombian drug cartels used to say in the 80s and 90s, the silver or the lead. And so what that basically meant was you're going to be a vassal of us. You're gonna, we're going to, in some level, control you, and you're going to give us money. And if you don't do that, then we're going to attack you. Um, and so, you know, like a, a country, I think Edom was a vassal state of Babylon. They, they basically said, we'll take the silver um, or we'll actually give you the silver. And, um, and, and, and so, with that being said, Israel didn't listen to the prophets. They did not listen to the word of God. Instead of trusting the Lord um, and doing what he said, trusting him to protect them, they made alliances with Egypt they did all kinds of foolish things and um, that were sinful and unwise, and the Babylonians in 597 conquer Israel. They come, they march into Jerusalem, uh, and it was, it was brutal. I mean, it was an atrocious thing. You read the book of Lamentations, uh, and you read the end of Jeremiah, and they give a description of the Babylonian captivity, and there are little ears in this room, so we will not get into details of just how atrocious the things were that the Babylonians did. To the Israelites. But what happens is the, uh, the, the Babylonians take uh, the Israelites out of Israel into Babylon, and they did it in, in a number of waves. The first wave was they took the best and the brightest people who were wealthy, people who were educated, people who were leaders. They took them and they, 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 they exiled them first. They deported them. They had to walk over 900, y- 900 miles. That's how long the journey was. So, real bad thing. Then they took another you know, another wave. And then, honestly, I think that like lower class people, a lot of them, they just kind of dispersed. Um, they didn't necessarily bring them to Babylon. But anyhow, all that being said, the, um, this psalm is written in the context of the exile, um, when they're in exile. And you have to think, that would be a big deal for anyone, right? I mean, if someone conquered us, if the Canadians conquered us, and they marched us up to Canada... We had to leave the United States. That'd be a big deal to us. It's a much bigger deal to Israel, because so much of the covenant was all about the land. It was all about the Promised Land that God had, you know, promised to Abraham, and and so the land. There was such a tie and a connection between the land and um, their relationship with God, the land and the promises of God, the land and their hope of glory. And so they have been. Their land has been taken. The land is in ruins. And so this is a psalm uh, that, that recognizes and that laments them being taken out of their land. And so you're going to see, you know, this sense of separation, the sense of loss, and the sense that things are not the way they're meant to be throughout uh, Psalm 137. So notice, I'm just going to read the whole thing. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres... For there are captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against a rock. Lord, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is down, and will be forever. That's a, quite an ending there, right? We'll explain it, though. There, there's uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough one to interpret, but, but it's got value. Okay, so going through this psalm, we're, what we're really thinking about is how is it that uh, the Lord, the promises of God, the Word of God help us to cope, help us to have hope in a season of grief? Um, as as we were experiencing, and so first we see so by the by the waters of Babylon, where we sat down and wept and we remembered Zion. So first, this is kind of setting the stage that they are in Babylon; they are no longer in Israel. Um, and it's interesting because uh, the typical typical sentence structure in Hebrew is verb, subject, object, prepositions. Hebrew is super formulaic. It's the same thing over and over again. In English, your English teacher said you need to, you need to vary your sentence structure and uh, you know you need to change up the way you begin sentences and all that kind of stuff. That is not how it was in Jerusalem. Your your Hebrew teacher would say same thing over and over and over again. Well, so when you see that there's a disruption in sentence structure, that tells you that there is something to pay attention to and there is a point of emphasis. And so in this sentence, this psalm begins with a prepositional phrase, by the waters of Babylon. So that tells you that this is this is something central to the mood of the psalm um, when he says, "By the waters of Babylon." So that is emphasizing by the waters of Babylon, I am no longer. We are no longer in Jerusalem. We are no longer in Israel, and so that is something in their experience, you know, that is emphasized. So in thinking about like twenty twenty, there is this sense of like, it is not two thousand nineteen, <laughs> it is not two thousand eighteen, it is not two thousand seventeen. Um, it is different. You know, like there has been a you know significant deracination from the norm into something that is not the way it was meant to be. Um, yes. What uh, what is present day Babylon? that's uh, present day Babylon is Iraq. Okay. Yeah, basically. So you have like present day present day Iran is Persia, present day Iraq is Babylon. Okay. Basically. Yeah. Um and their attention that they have today goes back to Persian and Babylonian conflict. Um, So there we sat down and wept. So wept, intense lament and mourning, when we remembered Zion. And so there's this sense of like, there's this uh, sense of of loss here. Actually, all of the things are present. All of the three components are very present just in this first sentence. Separation. We are separated from the land. And also, in a sense, there's a sense of separation from God himself. Because, you know, Jerusalem is where the presence of God was in the temple. So there's a sense of separation there. There's also separation from from the people of Israel because there was a dispersion and there was, uh, like we said, um, people were being displaced. So you have separation. There's a sense of loss. We have lost our land. Um, And there's a great sense of of things are not the way they're meant to be because they're in exile. They're supposed to be in the promised land. So then uh, verse 2, it says, On the willows there... We hung up our lyres. What, what do you think? Like, what that's a, you know, obviously this is poetic language. What do you think they're essentially saying? We hung up our lyre. So, lyre is a musical instrument, and what is that saying about their emotional mood? I can't sing. Can't sing. How can we sing King Alpha's song in a strange land? How can I be happy? How can I be joyful? So, this is a, a, a very much like a figurative way um, of saying. uh, we are depressed. We are in despair. We cannot imagine being happy to the point where we just hang up our instruments because that's not even something that's on the table. And so, you know, in the next, there's kind of a continuation of this in verses 3 and 4 because it says, For there our captors required of us a song, our tormentors mirth, saying, a mirth is basically like a joyful song, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Uh, this so this this too you know captures some of the injustice of this the oppression because the basically their tormentors are mocking them you know their tormentors are like hey why don't you sing us one of your old songs you know <laughs> kind of laughing at them so you know this kind of captures the you know the oppressed situation that um, that 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 the Israelites are in this this um, sense of powerlessness and the sense that they are not in control and it's as if they're being mocked. You know, I I think, um, I think that a lot of times when people have personified COVID, um, you know, there is, there's almost a sense of like, I mean, really? Like, you're going to take this too? Um, uh, I think that we were talking about what if, what if like, uh, I shouldn't even say this, but like, what if Christmas services got canceled? Yeah, you know, we. Were, I was in a meeting where we were just talking about what if, you know, what if it really was so unsafe, a situation was so dire, that the Christmas services would have to be canceled. Um, and I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying there's there's like a, this was a hypothetical conversation. This was not like planning for that. But, I mean, it, it's, not a, it's not an off-the-table kind of thing. I mean, the, the cases have never been worse than they are right now. Sat Friday was the single highest... Um, Highest set of cases in, in the entire the entire crisis. Four thousand new cases in the state of Alabama on Friday. Okay, so don't worry. I'm, this is not I, I'm, and Lauren, and Lauren. is probably inside, being like, "Please don't be saying this, Cameron." For those of you who are listening, on this is not this is not it's something that's like you know an active conversation that's being actively considered. Don't don't freak out. Don't worry. But we were talking about hypothetically, what if we lost Christmas services? And it, we were talking about it would be like covid's last you know just sucker punch you know it's you know if you've watched a boxing match and there have been you know a blow here and a blow there and they've hit you in the you know hit him in the stomach and hit him in the face and then and then you know the boxer his his he's getting so tired and he's getting so worn down that he can't defend himself and the and the you know the winning person has just that final blow that knocks him down for the count and we were saying like holy cow so much has been taken uh, to lose Christmas would be like the knockout blow. It would be the ultimate, you know, punch to the gut that lands you on the mat. Um, and so, with that being said, in the way that um, I think this is probably this is historic. This is not like a personification. This is a real thing. Like the 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 author of this psalm was literally saying that they were they were mocked by their oppressors. But as we personify COVID and personify twenty twenty. You know, you just think about the summer. Think about the summer when there was, like, all the the racial strife. It was kind of like, holy cow. Like, we already have a pandemic. And that that's already bad. And we have, like, an economic, great economic instability. And now, you know, racial strife and, you know, injustice that, you know, a lot of people have never seen in their lifetime. That kind of bad. It's like, really? In 2020? Really? <laughs> Did, it <have> to, <laughs> Did it have to be now? Um... You know, and so, uh, so all that to say, if we personify COVID in 2020, it's like the, it's the gift that keeps on giving. You know, it's like the jelly of the month club, you know, for that, that that Clark got. And it's just, it's the gift that keeps on giving. But anyhow, all that to say, um, all that to say that that is, that is just the intensity of the loss of the sense of loss. And so, um, so moving on to verse five says, if I forget you, Israel, Israel, sorry, if I forget you. Oh, Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. So there is, um, this, this is a common thing for people who've had a significant loss, is there's a fear that you're going to forget your loved one. There's a fear that you're going to forget moments, or you're going to, there's going to be a day where you don't think about them. Um, and that is, that's one of the deep fears of people in loss. And, um, and that's why remembering, that's why remembering like a loved one and telling stories about a loved one and having people ask you about that loved one is a very helpful thing for people who are in grief because a big fear is that you're going to, the thing that you have that you really cling to, the sense of the thing that you feel that helps you to be connected with the person, uh, which is the memory. If you're like, holy cow, if I lose that, then I've lost everything. Right, and so here the speaker is saying, um, is saying, you know, shame on me. May I be doomed if I, you know, if I forget you, O Jerusalem. So you can see this is deep sense of grief here. And so then to finish here in verses seven through nine, this is what you call an imprecation. This is an imprecatory psalm. And so, imprecatory psalms are hard to interpret and they create a lot of difficulty for people because they say things like, Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones, your children, and dashes them against the rock, right? That's like, how do we interpret that as, you know, followers of Jesus? And Jesus is, you know, uh, a a picture of nonviolence. Christians are called to nonviolence, called to love your enemies. And here you have a psalmist saying something like this. And so... So, first off, you know, um, gosh, I don't want to get into a uh, too deep of a, um, you know, explanation of imprecation. But basically, what you see here is a deep desire for justice. You have a deep desire for things that are wrong to be made right. And when it, you know, in in this verse here where it says in verse 9 that I've repeated a few times about little ones being dashed against rocks, Basically, there's a sense of kind of equal justice and equal retribution because it is likely that this is something that was done to the Israelites. And so the speaker is saying, uh, you know, blessed is the person who does to you what was done to us. Now, one thing with the old covenant to understand is that part of the covenant, the promise of God in uh, the the Mosaic, the covenant with Moses, um, is God says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And so you know a lot of the, the old covenant, a lot of it is tied to Israel as a geopolitical entity. Uh, and so, with that being said, uh, God says, "People who wrong my people, like I will, I will, there will be retribution for them. Um, but people who bless my people, I will bless them." When we go to the new covenant, uh, the enemies are the enemies of God's people are sin, death, and the devil. And so you know Jesus curses sin, death, and the devil on the cross. That's why there's such a there is such a s you know a call to like nonviolence and love of enemy in the new covenant, uh because God is already complete our our enemies are in the spiritual realm. And so in you know in Romans uh twelve it says, um do not take vengeance on another, for vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. There's this call to like we pray for our enemies, we hold back from retribution, we trust the Lord with that. Um it's it's a whole new shouting match. But all that to say, um all that to say in verses seven through nine, th- what this is a call for things that are wrong to be made right. Like in our language, in our language, it would be a call and a desire for Jesus to come back and make things right. So, in the Old Testament, justice—the concept of justice—is that every every ill effect that flows out of the fall, justice is making those things right, and in particular, as it pertains to relationships. Disordered relationships, whether those are disordered interpersonal relationships, a disordered relationship with God or with ourselves, disordered social relationships where people are oppressed and powerful people take advantage of the weak. Just as in the Old Testament, is that those relationships are made right and they're brought back into shalom. They're brought back into harmony. So what really what we see here is in 2020 as people are saying, like, come, Lord Jesus. Like, oh, I could handle Jesus coming back today. This is just an imprecatory Old Testament way of saying, Jesus, come back today. Because when we say, Jesus, come back today, we're saying, this world is so clearly wrong. This is, the, the fall is so clear to us. And we're ready for for Jesus to fully correct everything wrong that flows out of the fall. And so, um, so... To to land the plane here, I have a few takeaways, uh, a, a few takeaways for 2020 coming out of the psalm, and to help us uh, as we think about you know 2020 as a year of grief, and understand you know the the very dark, sorrowful, miserable experience that most people are in uh, through the lens of grief. So the first is the need to lament to God. That's that's that is by nature what this psalm is. That's the primary genre. Is that it is a lament. And you can see that they are honest about how they're feeling. They're honest about how they're doing. They're honest about the difficulty of their circumstances. But their honesty is not a complaint. A complaint is when you talk about um, the difficulty of your circumstance. uh, It's not directed towards the Lord. Um, And you have a, a victim's mentality, a sense of like, I don't deserve this. I, you know, and, and Hey, there are a lot of things that people don't deserve and we don't deserve. And at the same time, like in this lament, you can see there, there is a sense they are saying like, we don't deserve this. But the, the key thing is here, they are taking us to the Lord and you can see that it is uh, a lament that, that God shares that this world is not the way that it's meant to be. Um, and so it is good for us to be honest with God about the difficulty in our life. um, Complaining is, is to take it away from the Lord and to, and honestly even to maybe hold a bitterness or a hardness towards God as we talk about these things, whereas lament is actually directing um, the expression of our sorrow and our difficulty to God. So first, it is a good thing for us to lament to God about the things that are going on. But that is not a sinful thing. That's actually a godly thing as we see here in the laments. Second thing, it's good for us to lament together. This is a collective psalm by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down. This is not just an individual lament. Um, this is people together lamenting to the Lord. Uh, and so it's a, it's a, it's a first-person plural uh, psalm. And so uh, it is good for us to be in community, particularly in Christian community, where we are honest about how we're feeling and how we're doing, uh, and to pray about that, you know, to express that together towards the Lord, to lament together, and then to pray about that together. That's why they have grief groups. You know, that's why, that's why you know, you have rec- all kinds of different recovery groups, whether it's divorce recovery, um, you know, a grief group from, from losses. Um, I'm still doing good. Um, and... Um, uh, yeah, because it's good for us to lament together. Because one of the most surprising things to people in grief is how lonely and isolating it is. And so uh, to, to help to soothe that sense of isolation, it's good for us to lament together. Uh, number three, uh, we need to hope for, long for, call for the second coming of Christ. <laughs> the reason that is so helpful is um, imagine going through something like this and not having this sense of certain confidence that this is all temporary, you know? And I'm not talking about just like the COVID season. Uh, hopefully the COVID season's temporary. Hopefully vac- you know, vaccines are very effective and you know, therapeutics in- continue to improve and so on and so forth. No, there's, no, there's not like a biblical guarantee of that. Um, but there is a guarantee that Jesus is going to come back. And all the difficulty of this life is going to be made right. Um, and whether that's Jesus coming back or whether that's us, you know, when we die going to heaven, we have we we know that this whole thing is temporary, and that there's a finish line. There's a finish line, and when we cross the finish line uh, on God's terms and in God's time, then we're going to be perfectly happy, completely uh, separated from any difficulty ever again. Like there will never be any sadness, any sorrow. Uh, any loss, any death, any pain—that'll all be gone. Um, and so we have that certain coming back. So it's a good thing for us to think to have a heavenly-mindedness um, and to have a you know a consciousness that is pointed towards the second coming, uh, because that helps us to live under the narrative of the gospel. Helps us to under, it helps us to have perspective of like you know what I live in the fallen world, but relative to eternity, not that long, not very long at all. Just a snap of a finger. Gives us that perspective to persevere, and the final thing is uh, to seek intimacy with Christ. That's the final thing. Uh, the you know, for us individually, uh, the effect of the fall that is most painful creates the most despair and depression in our lives is being disconnected from God. Like we are made to live in the full presence of God, we're meant to see God face to face, we're meant to have perfect union with God. Um, And because we live in the fallen world, because of the fall, uh, because of our own sin, we don't have that. And that is the ultimate thing that's going to soothe our heart, is being one with Christ. And so on this side of heaven, uh, we want to pull as much of that experience of heaven into this life. And the central essence of that life that we want to pull in is... Oneness with God, deep fellowship and oneness with God, so that is finally the the best thing we can do for ourselves is to seek intimacy with Christ. And that's all I have. Anybody else have a comment? Suggestion. Yeah, you see people just not grieving very well. Right. That's what you see. Like we've all seen that, you know, with people, and we've all probably done a little bit of that ourselves, you know, where, um, the, you know, people have had a loss, and you, you know, I, I can, you know, you're a little bit crazy right after you've had a loss, and you're you kind of maybe you're a little more irrational, and you might do some things that are just really, you know, out of character, and um, and, and kind of dysfunctional. Uh, and I think that we've seen a lot of dysfunctional grieving, um, a lot of dysfunctional grieving. I, I mean, it's very, it's very, very sad. Uh, uh, political commentary, but I mean, people who, uh, white people in Portland who are day and night trying to, with sledgehammers, take down a federal building, like that is not a functional grief, you know? Like the feelings and the laments are real and legitimate. And that is, not a, that is not a healthy way to deal with the difficulties and justice of, of this world. Trying to constantly destroy property. It's just not a not, not healthy grieving. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Any, anything else there? Questions, letter to the editor, words to your mother. And the words of Vanilla Ice. Okay, great. Well, thank y'all for coming um let me pray and uh we'll land the plane jesus uh thank you so much for the hope of heaven the hope of the second coming thank you that you're with us in our uh lament we thank you that you lament with us that you you're a, a god who has a heart and who has feelings and who has emotions and who who mourns um and uh who suffers and we thank you that we're not alone in our suffering that you're with us in that and so help us to grieve well And um, deliver us. Deliver us from this very, very challenging season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.